Lord, I've heard the report about thee, and I in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make it known. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stall, I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. And he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. We know very little about the prophet Habakkuk. Very little is told us about his family or the tribe from which he came out of obscurity. He just arrives on the scene. We don't even know that much about the time in which he prophesied. We don't know the meaning of his name, although some scholars say that his name denotes ardent embrace or wrestler. We do know that he wrestled with God, and he, he wrestled with God concerning the agonies of his time and the injustices he saw in the land. And he begins this prophecy with a graphic description of the devastation of his land. He saw violence and, and injustice everywhere. He saw tyranny triumph. And he saw the innocent brutalized by the wicked. And in prophetic poetry, he, he describes these innocent as, as fishes in the sea that are caught in the nets of their despoilers. And not only did these oppressors rejoice in their successes and exult in their triumphs, they paid homage to the nets. And all of this became an almost insurmountable challenge to Habakkuk's faith for how could God allow something like this to happen. It questioned to him the righteous character of God. And he wrestled with God in prayer place after place in this prophecy, we see this man in ardent agony and prayer as he intercedes and stretches out in faith to rend heaven and bring down the revival, the renewal that he so desperately desired for his people. And in this ardent wrestling and embracing of Habakkuk, as he stretched out in faith for revival, he gives us a clue as to when revival comes. Revival comes when God acts sovereignly. It should be noted that verses one, chapters 1 and 2 pertain to the immediate past or the present. And chapter 3 pertains to the distant past. And it seems that in chapter 3, Habakkuk is recounting the events of the Exodus. And as he recalls this Exodus intervention of God, he fears, he says, in verse 1 of chapter 3. And that word means that he, as he thinks back upon God's Exodus intervention, he is awestruck. And as he recounts the events of God's intervention, in Israel's history, you can almost hear him whisper, Lord, do it again. Now there are two things that need to be said about the sovereign activity of God in history. 
One is this, that it suggests that God has done a great work in the past. The history of Israel is the history of a divine intervention. There's not a single one of us this morning who could not give testimony to witnessing in the past the divine intervention of God in your life and in the life of the church as these have shared this morning. Every single one of us has been witness to some divine activity of God. For some of us, it's in the distant past, but we've all been witness to a divine intervention that causes us to say, God, do that again here. Uh, I remember one Sunday night getting up to preach in a church in the, in, in the past. Same sermons, that all probably a warmed-up sermon from some past church. But when I preached that sermon, something began to happen in that church. Something unique and special. Now, I don't know how to explain it. It wasn't during a time of revival, just the same ordinary kind of, 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 of things. But when from that night, God began to do something mysteriously wonderful in that church. We started having Sunday night crowds, Sunday morning crowds on Sunday night. I mean, the balcony was packed with people. And in every service, every service, People were being added to the church and were being saved. Some of my friends in other towns would see me at meetings and they'd ask me about what was going on. They'd heard about it over there. And I don't know how to explain it except that I, you know, that I was aware or was witness to the sovereign work of God in the life of a church. You've all seen that. When all of a sudden God begins to move and there is this continuing intercession and there is this profound conviction of sin and there is this repentance toward God and there are these miraculous, supernatural, unique things occurring around us. God has done a work in the past. The second thing that must be said when we talk about the sovereign activity of God is this, that revival comes when revival really is a work of God. Now, it seems to me that the church operates either organically or organizationally. Now, when the church acts organizationally, that's man's work. That's man's life and man's programs and what he can engender. The organization thinks of administration and finance committees and ways and means and it promotes reform. Uh, the organization sets a series of evangelistic services and calls in some colorful character that's been on Skid Row or somewhere. And, and, and we try to... Every time he'd hear his neighbor out in the backyard, he'd go outside and run up this big balloon, this big gospel blimp he called it, had all these advertisements on it and, and, uh, and it was a whole, it's a satire of how the organization works, you know. And when the crisis comes, we, the organization says, now, now how am I respond to that? What's the best way to get the best results? And that's the organization. Listen carefully. When the church acts organically, this is what occurs. 
we allow the fellowship of the Holy Spirit as fire and life to pervade the organization. It's not business as usual. As a matter of fact, I'm tired of business as usual. And I'm not interested in having a series of meetings just for a series of meetings sake. I'm tired of the, of the business as usual. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And what we need is a worldwide moving of the Holy Spirit of God Himself. It's absolutely ludicrous to think you could take a post and nail some bark on it and pump some sap into it and expect leaves and fruit to be produced. And it's even, it's, it's just as ludicrous to think that you could pump some life into the organization and expect anything lasting to occur. It won't happen. We went to Philadelphia and we knew we were going to be sleeping on the floor and so everybody took an air mattress. And it was the nightly ritual, everybody blowing up their air mattress, you know, just huffing and puffing, blowing those suckers up, sleep on that night. Ms. Moss had a, had a foot pump. She didn't let us know about it, though, until we were about halfway through. But all the rest of us would pump. You know, it was a nightly ritual, pumping up those air mattresses, sleep on. About the middle of the night, we'd wake up, and the mattress would be flat. You know, never, never lasted through the night. And so you could hear people out in the rooms, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, blowing into those air mattresses and pumping them back up again. Some of us had more hot air than others, so we didn't have as much trouble. But, you know, pumping those air mattresses up. Never make it through the night. And so we expend our energy trying to keep the organization pumped up, don't we? I tell you, hear me, what we do not need is to try to work something up. What we need is to pray something down. Because revival is the divine, sovereign act of a sovereign God. Leads me to the second point. Revival comes when God's people pray desperately. Now, he, when he said, revive thy works in the midst of the years, that, word, that term, midst of the years, is a term that means in the time of personal distress. This guy has a, has a groan in his prayer. He has a tear in his eye. He has a sob in his voice. He is in dire straits, is this prophet, as he prays desperately. And the reason he prays desperately is because he has been able to assess a desperate condition. And desperate conditions always promote desperate prayer. And so he begins his book, he begins his prophecy with this, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk did see. And then he, 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 he goes ahead to describe what he sees in his nation. He sees sin piled as high as mountains, he says. And he sees the law of God disregarded. And he sees the violent oppress the innocent. And he sees backsliding so badly that God has to raise up a pagan nation to whip His own people into submission and repentance. Sound like anybody, any place you know. 
Now, I'm not going to get into the matter of trying to describe the gory details of the distressing condition of our times. The politicians will do that. You'll get all of that you'll want to between now and November. But I would like for you to assess your own spiritual condition this morning. And I would like to hear somebody cry among us. There is sin in the camp and treason today. Is it in me, Lord? Is it in me? There is cause in our ranks for defeat and delay. Is it in me, O Lord? Is it in me? And I would like to hear somebody cry out to God. It's me, O Lord, that stands in the need of prayer. It's me. Hesion was right when he said that revival comes not when a Christian criticizes his church for being dead. A revival comes when that Christian confirms that his own life is a valley of dry bones. When he himself is more distressed with himself than anybody else, then, said Hessian, God can do a work. It's when a people draws a circle around, when a person draws a circle around himself and says, Lord, I need renewal. I need it. For desperate conditions always bring about desperate intercession. Oh, that God would lead us to the point of interceding desperately. For I have read and reread the histories of revivals both in Scripture and in church history, and I have found a common denominator. And the common denominator, really there are two. One of those common denominators is this, that there's never been revival that has not been preceded by desperate intercession. For the bottom line of a dead church is this, that church is prayerless. It was Vance Havana who said, the tragedy is that the situation is desperate, but the saints are not. And he said, when the church lights start being on late at night, not for some kind of religious hootenanny, that's what he called it, religious hootenanny, he said, when the church lights are left on late at night, not because of some religious hootenanny, but because the saints are on their knees praying to God in desperation, that's when God moves in revival. One of the most remarkable things that's occurring in religious life today is occurring in South Korea. You've heard of Paul Cho's church. Paul Cho has, is the pastor of the largest church in the world. It's in South Korea. A revival, the revival that should be occurring in this nation is occurring in South Korea. And it's, it began in Paul Cho's church. Let me tell you a little bit of something about that church. They get up at mo- in the morning at 5 o'clock for prayer. They're, they're the members of that church, thousands of them. And they pray from 5 in the morning until 7, then they go to work. On Friday night, Now, what we look forward to is a Friday night out on the town. Friday night, they pray all night long, and thousands of them come to pray. And they have a prayer mountain, they call it, outside. At one time, it was set set aside by the city as a burial ground. It's now called Prayer Mountain. They have a worship center on Prayer Mountain, 
that seats 10,000 people that's packed out on Friday nights all night long. And I heard a guy give his testimony. He went to Paul Cho's church just to see what's going on. And he said he set his alarm clock for 5 o'clock to go to Prayer Mountain and pray. And he was in his hotel room. He said the alarm went off. He said I could hear sleet blowing against the window of my hotel. He said it was bitter cold, under 20 degrees. He said I just kind of rolled over and thought nobody's going to be there anyway. No use me get up in this kind of weather. He said, I got to feeling guilty. And he said, I got up, dressed, and headed down to, out to Prayer Mountain. And he says, about 5.30 by then, he said, they were coming down Prayer Mountain by the thousands. Already been there to pray. And he said, you had to sign in when you got there. And he said, there had been 3,000 people who had already been in that, work, in that auditorium to pray at 5 o'clock before I got there. Is it working? Let me tell you how it's working. They have seven worship services on Sunday. Paul chose church in South Korea. Seven to get the people in that seats 10,000 people. And since 1983, this five years now, they have averaged, uh, adding to their church, they have averaged on the uh, yearly over 150,000 people. That's, that's, that's 15, how many, that's... Uh, how many times more than what happened at Pentecost? 150,000 people a year have been added to their church, and most of them are new converts. It's what happens when the people pray desperately. Now, I've got to hurry. I know the time is getting away. Revival, the, I said in the early service, the organization says that I'm to be through at 9.20. The organization says I'm supposed to be through at 12. <clears throat> Revival comes... When God's people live faithfully. Now watch this. He says, The just shall live by... In the book of Habakkuk is that famous verse that gave impetus to the, to the Reformation. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. That is, the just shall live a life that exemplifies, means the just shall live faithfully to God. The just shall be faithful to their commitment and to their call and to their, and to their God. Now I want to read again. Listen to this. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fall, fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. Now what he's saying is this. I'm going to be faithful to God regardless of what happens to me. I'm not going to, I'm going to be faithful to God regardless of the circumstances. I'm going to be distinctively faithful to God regardless of who else is. I love it. It's a, it's a, it's a testimony of one's conviction that he's going to live for God regardless of what else or who else. I don't think we have any choice in this matter. I think the time that, that we live, in which we live, the, the religious hypocrisy that's apparent, I don't think we have any choice that somehow we must make Christianity believable by the way we live and gain back some credibility that we have lost. 
And the world has the right to expect that the man who stands in this pulpit is faithful to the moral imperatives of God. And the world has the right to expect the very same thing from every one of you. I was, uh, I, I, I was watching a little of the Olympics yesterday. I haven't been ter- too turned on you know, watching these guys that have no vowels in their names. But I, I, was, I was watching, I, I was watching the, the Olympics yesterday and, and I, I was intrigued by this, uh, this uh, Nordic um, deal, the, what do they call this, cross-country skiing. These guys skied cross-country 50 kilometers. That's 31 miles. Can you believe that? Now, I thought you went downhill when you skied. These guys go uphill, an elevation of 6,000 feet. Now, that's pretty phenomenal. And this guy, you know, that won the, this, the granddaddy of Nordic competition, the 50-kilometer cross-country ski guy was, you know, he hardly panting. I mean, great shape. You know why? Because last summer, he set his clocks. I was intrigued by this. They told about it. Last summer, he set his clock and he set his watch on Canada time. And he living over in Sweden. His name is Gunther Swan. He lives over there in Sweden. But, but while he was living in Sweden, he was living on Canada, not Tulsa, he was living on Canada time. So that even while he was, you know, and he, he wore hip boots, they said, and ran through swamp, you know, build up his, build up his, his, uh, his endurance and his legs. And while everybody else was doing what they do in Sweden, at, when, at the time they were doing it in Sweden, he was living on Canada time. Living in Sweden, living on Canada time. And I thought that's just exactly the way a Christian is to live. He's in the world, but he's living on somebody else. He's living on another time frame. He's living with another perspective. He's living from another book. He's living by another lifestyle. He's the just shall live by faith. And when the just begin to live on heaven time, on God time, when the just begin to live faithfully, Revival comes. For I tell you, the other common denominator is this. There has never been a revival that has not been preceded by the church repairing the altar and returning to the Lord and repenting of sin. Not a one, not a one. If my people, he said, not, not, not the pagan nations, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I heal from heaven, hear from heaven and will heal their land. One last thought, please. Renewal comes when God's people believe rejoicingly. Now, once you look at this, he said, Though the fig tree should not blossom, there be no fruit on the vines, the yield no olive, etc. Look, yet I will exalt in the Lord. G. Campbell Martin calls this the most priceless passage in prophetic poetry. Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. For, the, for God is my strength and He makes my feet like hind's feet. That's a sure-footed deer. And He calls me, causes me to walk in high places. I will exult in the Lord. 
Now I want you to know what's happening here. This prophet Habakkuk is living in the worst of times, the worst of times, and yet he is able to see beyond the desolation of sin to the consolation of the Spirit. And he says, because renewal is coming, I'm going to exalt in the Lord and rejoice in the Lord now. I mean, now watch this. He was acting like renewal had already come. It's what Jesus meant when He said, if you believe that you have it, you'll have it. Now, isn't that a paradox? If you believe that you have it, you'll get it. It's exactly what Abraham was, what meant when, he, when, when Jesus said of him, He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. So here was old Abraham four or five thousand years before, but he could see the day of Jesus and exalted in that day as though the day had already come. Now what is happening here is this, that the Habakkuk the prophet wants us to be so convinced in faith that God is going to send renewal and revival to our land that we can already start the celebration of it as though it had already occurred. In fact, G. Calamari says, that if you dare to translate this literally, it means I will jump for joy in the Lord. I will spin around for joy in the Lord. It's the picture of a man who is so caught up in the prospect of renewal that he's acting like it's already occurred. And what that tells me? It tells me we need to get our chins up and our shoulders back because God's about to do something mighty. Let's act like he's already done it. A girl wrote her mom and dad, and this is what she said. I'm sorry to be so long in writing, but all my writing paper was lost the night the dormitory was burned down by the demonstrators. I'm out of the hospital now, and the doctor says my eyesight should be back to normal sooner or later. The wonderful boy Bill, who rescued me from the fire, kindly offered to share his little apartment with me until the apartment, until the dorm was rebuilt. He comes from a Good family. So you won't be surprised when I tell you that we're married. <laughs> In fact, you always wanted a grandchild. So, so you'll be glad to know that you'll be a grandparent very soon. Love, Sue. P.S. There really wasn't a fire, and I really wasn't in a hospital, and I'm not married, I'm not expecting, but I did make an F in French and, and I did make a D in chemistry, and I just wanted you to know it could be worse. Yeah. Now, now, what we like to do, we, talk, we like to talk about it could be worse. It could be worse. I hear it all the time. Well, things are pretty bad, but they could be worse. I'm here to tell you, they could be better. Now, I'm not interested in telling you about the fact it could be worse. Worse, But I am here to tell you, I am interested in telling you about it can be better. And I want you to see how better it can be. He said, the Lord, now this is what happens when revival comes, when renewal comes. The Lord becomes our strength. It means He energizes us. The word there is dynamite power. When renewal comes to the church, that church is endued and endowed. 
power. This will date me. I grew up when I was a kid. I was very small, though. We didn't have electric, electricity, electric lights. We used kerosene lamps and kerosene stoves. And one day some people came through, had REA, Rural Electric Authority. These guys came in these big trucks and they started putting up these poles across the country and they strung wires across right out there in the middle of Knox County, eight miles from nowhere where I grew up, two miles to a dirt road. And they, they, they stretched these power lines out there and one day somebody threw a switch and the lights came on. We saw dirt for the first time. We, we didn't know there was dirt in the house. We, we saw things we'd never seen before. We did things that we'd never done before. We got these gadgets. Power came. And when your renewal comes to the church, power comes. And we begin to see things in our life that we've never seen before. That's what's painful. That's what she's talking about a while ago. And we begin to experience that which can only be explained in terms of a sovereign supernatural God. Power, we're energized. Then he said, he makes my feet like hinds feet, the most sure-footed deer in that time, scaling the mountains these deer did. Hinds feet, not only were, are we energized, we're stabilized. There's no slipping, we don't fall. You know, it's not up and down inconsistent, it's not, you know, it's not doing it one day fine and the next day failing. It's being stabilized. There's consistency. It's what happens when renewal comes. Now we can pump up this meeting just like we always do. We can bring these guys in with pink coats and, and they can talk about all they did in the past and, and it packs out. I mean, it's amazing. You, you, can get a, you can get a colorful character to come here and preach. Can't preach a lick. This thing will be packed out. And we can pump all that stuff up that we want to, but it won't last. There won't be stability in that. Stability comes when renewal comes, like hinds feet, he said. And then he said, he makes me walk on high places. He energizes and he stabilizes and he vitalizes high places. You know anything about those heavenly ranges? Do you know anything about those higher altitudes? Do you know anything about soaring? This old story is so worn out, I'm ashamed to tell it again. I got a new version. Try to get it by. The old mountaineer went one day down to the general store way back up in the mountains and he saw this man had an eagle chained to a chain in the store window to attract customers. And the old mountaineer said, how much for the eagle? And the guy didn't want to sell it because it was a good, you know, attracted attention. So he gave him an inflated price, unheard of price. The mountaineer didn't even think twice. He went home, got everything he had, sold everything he had. A little, had a little money, the old prospector did. Had a little gold. Got it all cashed in. Came back with this inflated price. Gave it to the store man. He sold him the eagle. Took it outside the door outside the store, took the chain off, let it go. The eagle soared up into the sky, dipped his wings a couple of times in salute and out of sight. One of the guys standing by the old mountaineer said, why'd you do that? The old mountaineer said, that eagle weren't meant for chains. 
I tell you, we weren't born for bondage. We were born for high places. And sometimes we forget about those high places and we get bound down, you know. We weren't born for bondage. We weren't born for chains. We were born to soar like the eagle. And when revival comes, that's what happens. I'm going to live like it's already here. Let's pray. Now, Father, we trust you with these moments of invitation to do a work here that cannot be explained. In Jesus' name. I'd like for you to look here just a moment. Three invitations. Salvation is an intervening miracle of God where He encounters you at the point of your sin and lostness and makes new the creation. If you come this morning and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ in faith, the just shall live by faith. He'll meet you at the point of your need and bring you life. I want you to come this morning and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. I invite you to come this morning to join this church. I invite you to come this morning as a Christian, forgetting about what everybody else is and assessing what you are and where you are, to say to God, I'm ready for you to do a work in my heart and life. Now there are three invitations. These are simultaneous. Sometimes though I found that when Christians begin to repair the altars and repent of sin and turn to God, it's people are saved. So maybe you'll want to come first as a Christian. I'll wait for somebody else to come. We invite you to come on the first stanza. We stand to say, come.